I would encourage anyone who's listening is that if you have any fears, especially those that you haven't confronted since you were a child, lift that rug up that you swept all that shit under, excuse my French, lift that rug and examine it. Because if you don't examine it, it's always going to sort of creep into your existence and prevent you from achieving all the things that you want to. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a very interesting lady as my guest today, somebody who has literally traveled and lived all over the world and has a lot of most memorable journeys to tell. She is an international best-selling author. She's a certified confidence coach. The one thing that intrigues me a lot is she is a champion race car driver and a tele and Emmy award-winning business entrepreneur. Martina Kwan, welcome to Most Memorable Journeys. Good morning, Elizabeth. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be on your podcast. It's so good to talk to you. We met, we're going to have to tell our audience how we know each other. We met in Clubhouse in the International Airport Lounge, but we were all so desperate to, to just be somewhere international, weren't we? Yes, that was such a fun. Actually, it was a really fun time being on Clubhouse. Every day you sort of knew that the International Airport Lounge would be there. And it's as the name describes, just sort of envisioning ourselves traveling when when it wasn't possible in early 2020. Yes, it was just somewhere to go because we couldn't travel. And I think people like you and I were suffering a little bit at the time. <laughs> yeah, it was a great, great diversion. So tell me, Martina, you were born in Hong Kong to a Chinese father and a German mother. That alone is a very, very interesting story. Where did your parents meet? Great story. So they met in England. My father was there from Hong Kong and studying at Cambridge University. And my mother was there from Hamburg, Germany as an au pair girl. And so they met, they fell in love. It was somewhat taboo at the time in the 60s. And they fell in love, got married and moved to Hong Kong. And that's where we were born. Wow. I wonder what your mother's parents said when their daughter moved to Hong Kong in that time. That was quite daring. It was really daring. And I think, you know, obviously for most parents, it would be a little bit of a shock, you know, and sad, you know, that your child is moving away so far. But after that, I, I believe they just accepted it. And yeah, I think people come to terms with things, things and especially when they see that it goes well and that people are successful. So you were in, you were in Hong Kong until which age? So we were there till I was eight, eight years okay. old. Did you travel? When was the first? Do you remember when you were on the plane for the first time in your life? I do. So, well, we would go back to Germany. I obviously don't remember too much from when I was a child, but I do remember us traveling back to Germany for holidays and during the summer. So that was sort of a really long flight from Hong Kong to, to Germany. I can imagine for a little girl, it's a very, very long flight. I remember when I was traveling with my kids and they asked me how after half an hour if we're there yet. So <laughs> I would imagine that you don't really remember that much of Hong Kong, living in Hong Kong, or do you have memories of living in Hong Kong? Actually, I have a lot of great memories. So we belong to different clubs, like the country club. And so I was an avid swimmer 
And I, I already remember at the time that I liked to win. And so I have pictures of me on the podium. Uh, <laughs> there was a German girl who was really good. So usually it was second or, or, or third place uh, for me, but it was really, really fun. And then the other club we belonged to was the LRC, which was the Ladies Recreation Club. And what was interesting is, so I was born in you know the late 60s is that at the time they didn't allow Chinese members. It was only for white people. Wow. And so, but, you know, my mom was German and they started loosening up the rules, you know, even though we were half Chinese. So that was sort of a big thing, um, the opening up of, of clubs to both races, so to speak. Uh, yeah. And we had great time swimming there. I also remember uh, there's a boat called a junk and it's sort of a wooden boat. Uh, if you see movies, old movies about Hong Kong. I know that. I've been on that boat. That was when I was a tour guide. They, they used to do excursions on that thing. That's right. That's right. So it would have a sail and a motor. And I remember going to, you know, just going on my friends' parents' junks. And then my father was an avid scuba diver. So I have a lot of incredibly great memories. You know, we would go... Um, on his speedboat, on then later on his yacht, sort of out to the different uh, Hong Kong islands in the South China Sea. And we would uh, stay overnight and dock next to his friend's boats. I remember a gigantic boat, um, Bang Bang, I believe, the, the owner of the Bang Bang stores. And they would go scuba diving and then we would have, you know, grilled fish for dinner. It was really a beautiful childhood. I had a lot of great memories. Wow, that sounds like so much fun. And all this little area, these little islands and the area around is, I mean, Hong Kong is a, is a jungle, is a, is a concrete jungle. But, but the rest, everything around is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And one thing people don't know is if you ever go to Hong Kong, so you have Hong Kong, you have Kowloon and then. Kowloon goes into the new territories um, adjacent to China. But on the other side of Hong Kong Island, and you can actually take a bus, is Stanley Market mm-hmm. and then Sheko. And Sheko is a little fishing village. So you can go to the beach there. And my grandpa had a house um, up, up in Sheko. And it was those were also incredible memories. Um, beautiful. Do you go back to Hong Kong these days? Have you been recently? Not recently. So when my ex-husband and I had our, our outdoor furniture business, we manufactured in Indonesia and the Philippines. And so I was always the one like, I will go on the business trip to do the quality control. And I really, I of course, enjoy traveling so much. And so I would usually stop in Hong Kong on the way to the factories and have dinner with my family. Nice, nice. So then you moved to another really strange place. You went from Hong Kong to Beirut, didn't you? That's right. (laughs) Beirut is my neighborhood here. I'm in Cyprus. I'm 20 minutes flight away from Beirut. (laughs) For you, it was quite, that was a step from, from Southeast Asia to the Middle East. My parents divorced and my mother remarried a Lebanese. And so his family was in Beirut, Lebanon. And so we decided to move there. And we moved in uh, 1974. And about six months later, the Civil War started. But before the Civil War started, it was known as the Paris of the Middle Mm -hmm. East. You know, people who don't know, it's um, located by the Mediterranean Sea. 
and it's a beautiful country. It's mountainous. So one hour in, you can go up to go skiing in the mountains. It's sort of like Chile, where in Santiago, you're on the ocean, but in one hour you can go skiing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was really this beautiful French infused uh, city and old architecture and just a really, really beautiful, beautiful city. I um, did something this winter for the first time that Lebanon and Cyprus both are famous for. I swam uh, in the sea and skied on the same day. Because that's what you can do. Because it, within an hour, you are from, you're, you're away from the Mediterranean and on the ski slopes. And it's the same in Lebanon. It's a beautiful country full of with beautiful people. The Lebanese are some of the nicest people I would say that I know. Mm-hmm. Well, so, they've gone through they've gone through so so much, and they're I still mean, standing. You know, that's what I like. They are really really resilient. I read about your stay in Beirut. Obviously, the beginning must have been fantastic. You know, the Paris of the Middle East, very glamorous. And then the civil war came and you did experience the civil war. You you have memories. And I was reading something about a car. What was the story? You were driving a car that reminded you of the bombs. Tell me about that. So in 2019, I was approached by the American manufacturer Celine to drive their Celine S1 cup car and the GT World Challenge here in the United States. I believe that it's sort of like the Richard Branson quote, if somebody ask you to do something and you're not sure you can do it, say yes. Always. And then learn how to do it later. And so when they approached me, I was, I believe, on my second or third championship in my Porsche 911 and not even knowing the race car, not having ever paddle shifted a car, I said yes. And so I just, you know, got to learning how how to paddle shift on a simulator. And the first time I was asked to get in the car was at Thermal, which is a private racetrack here in the Palm Desert and near Palm Springs. And thought, no problem. You know, I, I'm, I'm used to my race car and this is not an issue whatsoever. But I get in the car and I turn it on and something paralyzes me with fear. I'm typically, I've always been a very fearless person, you know, because of the war. But this was a situation where the sound of the car, it was a turbocharged car. So it had different sort of sputtering and hissing and popping sounds that I wasn't used to in my own non-turbocharged car. So honestly, you know, we were only driving around a parking lot with cones. And sort of as I was driving, I was so paralyzed with fear. I was sort of running over cones, which I hope nobody realized. So when I got back around, I, I got out of the car pretending like everything was fine as as you do as as a businesswoman and as a professional, <clears throat> you really don't show your hand or of what's really going on inside. But it really took me a few months to realize what is wrong with me. I mean, we drove in the Olympic Stadium in in Beijing in front of 25,000 people and the car combined with the extreme heat and humidity, oof, I was paralyzed with fear there as well. So I knew when I got home at the end of July, we had Watkins Glen coming up at the end of August that I had to get my act together and really figure out what is the deal with this car. Yesterday, actually, I drove, I'm going to start crying, the same road that I, I drove on August 14th. I woke up in the morning and we were going to test at a racetrack called Button Willow. And you drive up a hill called 
the Great Wine. It's a road, a, a highway um, that is sort of the ingress and egress from north to southern California and a lot of trucks drive it. So when you go to Button Willow, you go up the grapevine and then down on the other end. And as I was approaching the grapevine on the highway after Santa Clarita, I said, you know, I need to pull over and find, I realized that it was the sounds of war, um, the sounds of hissing, popping, those, those sounds I equated to the rockets, bombs, explosions, and machine gun fire that I had heard as a little girl, an eight to 10 year old girl in Beirut, Lebanon. So I pulled over, I got my iPad out and I said, you know, let me look on YouTube for the real sounds of warfare. I had not listened to anything like that. I always left movies. Like when I walked into, uh, sat down to watch Platoon, I walked out within five minutes because I didn't want to hear those sounds of war. So I had that iPad and I said, you know, I have to confront confront this. And what what's 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 so frightening about the sounds? And so I got back on the highway, got on the grapevine and listened to the sounds of warfare at volume 10 for an hour. And, you know, it sort of brought me back to when I was a child, when I started hearing what would happen is we lived on Bliss Street in Manama, um, Beirut. So that was the Christian neighborhood. And so we would at the nighttime start hearing the gun sounds, machine gun sound, ba 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 in the distance and then it would be ba 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 and then ba 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 it would get louder and louder as my sister and I were lying in bed and every night I would get out of my bed and, and crawl into my sister's bed for comfort and it was such a frightening time and we would wait for the sirens to go off so when I hear sirens it sort of also brings me back to the time and then we would go to our corridor. We lived on the ground floor in a four-story apartment building. And our neighbors would come down and we would sit huddled on either side of the corridor and listening to these rockets and bombs and explosions. And when you think of rockets at the time in 1974, Beirut, those were rudimentary handmade rockets by, it was guerrilla warfare. So it wasn't precise. Any time a rocket was shot off, it could have hit our building. It could have made us die. So it was really that hissing sound when a rocket was fired off. That was when your mind said, am I going to be the next one to die? So when I heard that sound that in the Celine card, that's that visceral fear of am I going to die came flooding back. Wow. So actually listening to those sounds for an hour really desensitized me. I did some crying. I did some reflection. And it it sort of reminded me, you know what? The car is not the war. And the war was over four decades ago. So Martina, you are not in that situation. You've now listened to those sounds. You can do this. And so after that, when I got to the racetrack, I got into the Selena and I drove it like my Porsche 911 and ended up podiuming, uh, getting on the podium twice in seven races. So I would encourage anyone who's listening is that if you have any fears, especially those that you haven't confronted since you were a child, lift that rug up that you swept all that shit under excuse my French, lift that rug and examine it. Because if you don't examine it, it's always going to sort of creep into your existence and prevent you from achieving 
all the things that you want to. So lift that rug and examine your fears. This is so true. And I'm a hypnotherapist. I do. Uh, I actually help people remove fear. And, and, and you know, this. you are the perfect example for it for the, the it's the power of your subconscious mind this is the wrong power that you had but you can use it the other way around you can use it for your own you know for your good so as you say there is it is so important to find out what's actually all in there because we all have stuff in there that we don't even remember or we do remember when we start digging but we don't know so uh, you know you you're the way you you said it you know lift up that rock and find it because it could it could fear is the biggest dream killer that's right and and the other thing i wanted to mention about the time in beirut which i think is a very useful advice for anyone who um is having trouble achieving things in their life um it's very useful for people who are going through abusive situations you know for example also children whose parents are fighting and they want to get out of their head. What I did when I was in Beirut is I would play with my Barbie dolls and horses. So I already loved horses then. And I would daydream. I would daydream about riding in a beautiful forest um, with tall trees and soft ground, so soft that it was very quiet. I didn't hear the gunshots there. And a few years later, we emigrated as refugees to my mom's hometown in Germany. I started horseback riding and I found myself in that same forest that I had in my dream. And so I've used daydreaming as a tool of escape, a a survival tool, a, a tool to get you out of your head and envision things that are maybe now you don't think are possible, but dream big. Mm-hmm. So I would dream of uh, getting uh, tele awards and Emmy awards, and I won them in my first business. I would dream about getting furniture design awards in my outdoor furniture business, and I got them. I dreamed about becoming a champion race car driver, which is so weird. Uh, at 50 years old, who does that? I became a three-time champion. So dream big, so big. It almost sounds ridiculous and you're almost ashamed to say it to other people, but say it to someone and say, you know what, I'm going to be a champion and do it. And because you've said it out loud, that is accountability. Mm-hmm. You don't want to disappoint yourself and you don't want to disappoint other people. And it starts taking form. I think once it's out there, once it's said, it, it uh, the universe knows what to serve you because how is the universe going to know what you want if you don't tell it? You know, if mm-hmm. you don't dream it, you are you are so right. And what is it that Oprah says? Um, life, what is it? What you have the courage to ask for? Life will give you what you have, what you have the courage to ask for. So ask. Mm-hmm. So where does this car fascination come from, though? Is is it? Did you always like car? Like car? When you did you like car as a little young little girl, as a young woman, or? When did it start? Not at all. I mean, everyone, you know, asked me whether I always loved cars. Not at all. We lived in Hong Kong. We lived in Beirut. We lived in Germany, Amsterdam, Switzerland. You don't really drive there necessarily. There's excellent public transportation or in Bahrain, we had a chauffeur, you know, so cars were not a part of my life. And then I moved uh, to Miami to study. And then I started my career in New York City. And I was extremely type A career focused woman. 
And there was no time for cars. So there was time for the career in New York City. You don't drive. So it even took me a long time to get my driver's license and, and to start driving. And sort of when we moved to Miami in 2007, I started taking a little bit of an interest in cars. And in 2011, I decided, you know what? I want to get my dream car, which was a Porsche 911. But before that, I really wasn't that interested. And and in Miami, there's not too much that surrounding cars. But when we moved to Southern California, it's huge car culture here. Lots of car shows, lots of driving. I didn't know about them at the time. But uh, I was kind of interested in finding out where I could take my car on the racetrack. And so in 2015, I went to, I found the Porsche Owners Club and I went to right where I am right now, the streets of Willow to try my first time at the racetrack. And it was incredible. And to me, the car is, it's freedom. It's such a beautiful thing to get in your car and crank up the music and leave your problems behind. And I had kids, you know, and a business and uh, trouble with my marriage. And so it was my escape to get in that car. Wow. You know, I could see, I was watching you now while you were telling this and I could see the beauty in it, you know, how, how beautiful you felt when you talked about it. I think this is what we all need in, in some people, it may be cars for other people, a passion, something where you, where we can escape, as you say, escape everyday life, the problems, all the shit. Sorry, I'm saying it too now because <laughs> this is what it is and do something that we really, really love. And uh, so that's it for you then. And uh, you you keep going because I see you on Instagram. You do, you you, you race, you drive, you you have a school, a racing school or, or yeah. participate in a racing school, right? Yeah. So after, during COVID, I actually, uh, with, with my partner and the love of my life, which I want to talk about him as well, we started DK Racing School for D stands for Dement, his last name, and K stands for Quan, my last name. So DK Racing School, we offer one day precision driving schools for people who want to shave seconds off their time and get better. So it's from beginner to advanced. And then after they've gone through our school or done other track days that they're qualified to take our two-day racing school to get race license, either with the Porsche Owners Club, with USAC Racing or FIA. And it's become my passion to help help people, especially bringing women into, into the sport. And so we had two women start last year and they both now own race cars and are race licensed. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and many uh, many other men but the women especially I have to point out because it's so rare that it's it it just it it makes me gush with with pride to see these women perform so well <laughs> beautiful no I agree with you and it's not it's not really that common and I think um, I think it this it gives you a lot of confidence when you when you achieve that when you manage to do something that not so many people do now Going back a little bit, I think I also read, did you work at the Hudson? Because I remember I once stayed at the, the Hotel Hudson, which I <laughs> loved. When was that? When did you work? When were you in New York? What was your New York period? So New York was 1990 to 2007. 
So I, I did a lot of different things in the time I started. Uh, I have a master of science in accounting and hotel management. So I started with KPMG mm-hmm. in audit and bankruptcy consulting. I also worked with Coopers and Libran, which is now Price Waterhouse Coopers. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then I was uh, the interim controller for the Delano. And then I was hired as the director of accounting for the Hudson Hotel and then the financial controller of the Paramount Hotel, which was also a Morgan's Hotel Group, Ian Schrager uh, invention. Fantastic. Now, out of all these quests, all these uh, places, because people always ask me, I was a tour guide and I have lived in all these country and countries and people always ask me, which one did you like most? And I think it's a stupid question, but I'm going to ask you as well. Where did you like living most? Or, or, or um, can you say that there is a place where you would immediately go back to live if you could? Or I don't know. Well, I've been to so many different places and lived. There's a TripAdvisor map that you can pin all the places you've been to, and I've been to 456 or more. And I love where I am now, especially here in the desert with Dwayne. And this is my home. And I don't really, it sounds weird, but I, I, the Vanda Lust has left me. It was with me for all of my life because we moved around so much. And so I had this inner sense of having to travel that is now just peaceful for being happy where I am, which is in the Mojave Desert. Wow. I envy you because I still have that wanderlust and it may, it drives me crazy sometimes, but I am happy where I am, but I, it's an island. Cyprus is an island. So I sometimes need to leave, but I think what a beautiful thing to be able to say that you love it to be exactly where you are. I think that is a full a full circle achieved life. That's the thing. You know, I think, you know, a lot of our lives are are lived as thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. And for many years I thought that because I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy in my uh, marriage. I lost myself. And so when I turned 50, I really um did a full examination of my life. And I said, enough is enough with my marriage. And I said, what, who am I, Martina? And I want to be Martina Kwan again, not the old, you know, married name. And so I left um, my ex-husband. I found myself, I became a race car driver. And in the meantime, I met the love of my life, which is Dwayne DeMent. And so it's so incredible to be with somebody who you accept, they accept you and you're meant to be together. And it's sort of this random, he grew up in California, didn't travel, you know, much except for in the Southwestern United States. I traveled the world and what are the odds of us meeting? But we met after 50. And I have to say, I want to tell anyone who's listening is that anything's possible at any age, don't give up. But the most important thing is that you have to be true to yourself. So right now we live on a ranch next to the racetrack. So we have the Porsches and we have the horses. So we have the horses in the back. And my childhood dream was to live on a farm with horses. So here I am at 56 living my dream, you know, and, but I took a big detour 
to being with uh, city slickers, basically living in New York City, living in big cities like Miami and doing, yes, having a great career and many awards, but not being happy inside. So if you want to be happy inside, you have to find yourself again and do what your heart is telling you to do, not what society is telling you to do. And that is, you know, that is why I'm so also so thrilled to be doing my women's retreats now as well, to teach women this. This is beautiful. And I wonder, though, don't you think that all the stuff that you did made you the woman you are today? Like, all, you are a fulfilled person because of all the stuff you did, even if you weren't always happy with what you did, but it helped you to uh, bring this satisfaction, this this full life feeling. I think it's important that, you know, because people often ask, what would you say to your 16-year-old self or to your 18-year-old self? And I always feel like saying nothing because I needed to do all these things to be who I am today. Well, what would I tell my younger self? I think this is really important for women to listen to in terms of relationships is leave as soon as you see the first red flag in a man. A red flag is a sign that something's not right and turn around and run. So that would be my advice to teenage girls, to young women. Don't allow yourself to be fooled by a man, by him pretending to be somebody that he's not. And if there's a red flag, it means something. Don't ignore it. Mm -hmm. And I think many women ignore many, many red flags until it's late. I think one of the biggest problems is financial dependence, because once you have settled and once you have children, it becomes so much more difficult. And your, your advice of leaving when the first red flag comes is good because, you know, then it's not too late. Yeah. And actually, if you're already at a marriage and you're considering divorce, um, my new book, Unstoppable Women in Finance, uh, my chapter is about what you need to do. Research all your assets and liabilities and everything before you leave. So that book is coming out on September 27th. But yeah, but what you said about, you know, coming full circle and, and having had the full life, absolutely. I think there's a reason for being in a certain place at a certain time. And all those experiences make you the person that you are today. Dwayne and I, you know, talk about, I think it's important that we had our lives before and it made us who we are today. And then it's like, wow, now we know we found each other. We found out that we're home now. Mm -hmm. But if we hadn't had those experiences, we wouldn't necessarily know what that final wonderful home is if we hadn't had all those other experiences. And, and I think it's important to, um, for both men and women to have had the chance to do all these other things. And there are many different needs that a human has. And part of it is success and recognition, mm -hmm. um, especially as a woman, you know, I, I'm really big into women's empowerment and it's important for women to know that you are able to, stand in the spotlight and enjoy the fruits of, of your, your labors. Yeah. And you were saying before that when you are 
offered something on or when you are asked something, you don't need to know how to do it yet. You just need to say yes. You're not signing anything by saying yes. But when you say no, the door closes. And that, that that open mind and really having the open mind for any opportunities that that might come into your life. And, and not 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 having judgment. That was another big thing that I that I teach the women is, you know, a lot of times when we go into a situation, whether you're a man or a woman, um, you have in some sense you have to judge because that allows you to get things done quicker. But at the same time, when you're judging other people, and if you look in the mirror and you're pointing a finger at somebody else, what what who are you pointing at? You're pointing at, at yourself. Mm-hmm. And so usually when you're criticizing somebody else, it's something about yourself that you're not pleased with. So to be open and not judgmental and, and understand that everyone's coming from a different place and there's a reason in their backgrounds and their histories and their family upbringing, why they're doing something and it's okay, everyone to each his own. It's such a much easier um, and more pleasant way of living than than sort of being like, you know, always in a bad mood and and criticizing other people. It's not healthy. (laughs) It's not healthy and it's not pleasant. There's nothing worse than being around the person who is not who is always in a bad mood and who is always judging other people. I think kindness is very sexy. (laughs) Yeah. Now, do you do one-to-one coaching or do you, is it the retreats? What, uh, if, because we're going to put in the show notes, we're going to put your, um, the link to your website. In what other way can people find you? So martinaquan.com would be one way. And then if they'd like to email me to get in touch, it's info at martina, K-W-A-N. A lot of people say Q-U-A-N, but it's Quan, K-W-A-N, Martina Quan, M-A-R-T-I-N-A-K-W-A-N. And so info at martinaquan.com would probably be the easiest way. And I've become hugely passionate about these women's retreats. So I do two different formats. One is the She Believes She Could, So She Did with more women, about eight to 10 women. And then I do my Extreme Confidence Masterminds with three to four women. And those are, those have become my favorite, the the best thing that I could have done in my life to give back to other women is my extreme confidence mastermind. It is so impactful. It changes lives. Oh, I just finished one this Sunday and it was so, so incredible. And it makes me shed tears of joy to see these women transform from Thursday night to Sunday. So yeah, so, but yeah, I do one-on-one coaching as well. So I'm a business mindset and confidence coach. And a lot of my clients are, it's interesting how a lot of women are extremely successful in business, but then they can't express themselves or get what they want or express their needs at home. Yeah. Don't you feel that when you do these uh, retreats with these women, I I feel that with my clients, don't you grow? I feel like I grow with every client that I speak to. It's a win-win situation, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's so, so rewarding. And I love to participate. One of the ladies this weekend said, I really loved how you did the vision boards with us. And I said, of course, you know, it's the part of it's it's this immersive experience that is so wonderful. 
and putting it out there, right? Saying out loud what you really want. I think that's a that's a big thing, you know, and, and not thinking that anybody thinks that you're crazy because nothing is impossible. It's anything is possible if you want to. Coming back, we're cl- we're getting close to the end, but we're still in most memorable journeys. What is the next journey? Where do, where would Martina Kwan like to go? Is there? Do you have any trips planned? Any dreams? Any dream trips? So Dwayne and I took a trip to Bass Lake. Uh, it's a few hours away from here, and and we took the motorhome. And so I think we've decided that we'll take more of these trips in the Southwest United States, you know, either with the horses or without, but there are so many beautiful parks here like Yosemite and all the beauty that this country has to offer in the Southwest in particular. So we're really drawn to the desert. And so Arizona, New Mexico, Northern California. So in in this Southwestern area, would be where where our trips are taking us, not overseas at all. Well, it's such a beautiful part of the world. This is, I mean, you can travel for a long time without going to the same place twice. I totally agree. I mean, definitely. And uh, it's peaceful and quiet and romantic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is really what I wanted to hear. And for the people who are listening, get in touch with Martina because... I think she's a badass coach. I think she can really get people out of their shell. So (laughs) thank you so much for being my guest today on Most Memorable Journeys. Thank you so much for having me. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.